Good morning, everyone. Let me begin by asking you a question. What are we doing here this morning? Why do we do what we do? Why do we open this Bible and read stories like the story of Daniel that are over 2,500 years old? Well, I hope it's because you want to become more like Jesus, that you want to experience a deeper, more fulfilling, more committed relationship with your Savior. You want to know Him. You want to please Him. You want to serve Him better as your Lord and God. We read the Bible because in the Gospels, Jesus told us that that's where we're going to find His truth. In the words of the Old Testament, and the words of the Apostles, that's his word to us. So we read and try to understand and apply the Bible to our lives because we want to become better Christians. Now some folks get confused about what that might look like, being a better Christian. Does that mean I have to be some kind of a holy Joe, you know, who carries around a huge leather-bound Bible, wears Christian t-shirts and plasters his car with Christian bumper stickers? Or does being a better Christian somehow turn you into a sour saint? You know, standoffish, judgmental, finger-pointing, tongue-wagging, so concerned about your own purity that you can't rub elbows with any, you know, sinners? Or does being a Christian mean you have to turn into a social crusader who hits the streets to picket every single perceived injustice or the hot political cause of the day? and then fickly move on to the next issue tomorrow and never really doing anything besides liking Facebook posts. None of those are healthy images of what it means to go deeper with Christ. The solution for a true Christian life is to develop an entire lifestyle that is pleasing to God. Develop a life where you are doing the will of God with, with naturalness, authenticity, with confidence, emulating the character of Christ with a sense of joy so that your life sort of reverberates with his happiness. Living with courage because the world belongs to God. You don't fear people because you fear and obey God. And you can be militant in your faith, not violent, militant, meaning on the offensive, proactive against evil, sensitive and loving, healing what evil has done to the world this world that God loves. And Daniel is a good example for us on how to do just that, a whole lifestyle that is pleasing to God. So let's really listen this morning as we hear probably the most familiar of all the stories in the book of Daniel, Daniel trying to join the Lions Club. Chapter 6, I'll read through verse 16. Let's hear God's word together. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom, with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel was so distinguished himself among the administrators and satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and, trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, may King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, perfects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days 
except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it into writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. And now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. And then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or human being except to you, your majesty, would be thrown into the den of lions? The king answered, the decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. And then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. And when the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and make every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went as a group to King Darius and said, Remember, your majesty, that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. And the king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. Amen. Thanks be to God, for this is his word. Few great people end well. The world is full of stories of those who make a great beginning and then falter at the end of their lives. One reason Daniel is such a standout is because he kept the faith, fought the fight, finished the race, and he finished well. Many years have elapsed since chapter 1, where as a teenager he was carried into exile in Babylon. Decades have passed, and he's now in his 80s. There was plenty of time for things to change. His accent was probably changed. He could probably now speak the language of the Babylonians like a native. His children, his family would have blended in, his grandchildren. His loyalty to the royal court has been clear for all to see for decades. He's remained absolutely consistent, even with all the changing kings and all the changing governments. You still find him to be steady like a rock, a man of integrity. He was, he was integrated, he was whole, he was balanced, he was reliable. And now in his 80s, he is confronted by yet again a new challenge at a time when he might have been tempted to say, not again, I am so sick of these kings and their stupid dreams and edicts, I've had enough. You know, the longer you go with God, the tougher it gets. The longer you follow Christ, the temptations, they don't get easier. They actually get harder because you become more and more aware of the subtlety of your own sinfulness. So to be able to run through the tape in your final decades is encouraging. Eric Liddell, the Scottish runner and missionary whose epic uh, Olympic gold victory in 1924 was told in the movie Chariots of Fire, he was once asked how he won that 400-meter gold medal race, and he said this. He said, the secret of my success is that I run the first 200 meters as fast as I can. And then for the second 200 meters, with God's help, I run faster. 
You see, he's not slowing down towards the end. He speeds up. He runs harder. And Daniel is like that. He sees the end of the, the tape at the end of life's race. And he's running harder for God now. And you know, you won't be running hard for God at age 70 or 80 if you're not running for him at age 20 or 40 or 60. You have to train your life in order to do that. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. So what do we know about Daniel? And I'm using an outline this morning by Alistair Begg. And the first thing he says is that Daniel has distinguished himself. The new king, Darius, quickly recognized Daniel's talents and made him one of his top three cabinet members who had authority over all the satraps and administrators. A satrap was basically a provincial governor. And Daniel's job description in verse 2 is that the king would suffer no loss. And that meant no loss in two ways. Uh, no loss of revenue, meaning internal corruption, and no loss of territory, meaning any outside threats. And that's a big job, but Daniel had been given by God this capacity to handle unusual problems. He didn't just interpret dreams. He was also incredibly wise and skilled in management, organizational leadership, made him valuable to those who were over him. He was a highly valuable COO for King Darius's administration. But the integrity of his life was obvious to everyone who knew him. And as a career politician, the positions he held would have been susceptible to all kinds of dishonesty. I mean, haven't we seen for years a, a constant stream of corruption and shady dealings in our own government, local, state, national? Our, our politicians keep the prosecutors busy. And often they're so slimy and sophisticated in their double dealings that they slip through the courts of justice. But with Daniel, there was no gap between his public and private morality. He was the same person. He sort of embodied those great words from Micah 6, 8. What does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. That, that's what people saw in Daniel, a stability in a world that was increasingly shaky, a, a man marked with purity in a world that was increasingly dirty, a, a man marked with honesty in a world that was cre increasingly shady. It's so easy to see why this new king promoted him to the top of the list, and you would assume that everyone would cheer him on. Well, not so. Daniel was distinguished, but he was also despised. In verse 4, we're told that everybody under him sought to sabotage him in some way. The news of a promotion, you know, in an office or a school often reveals people's hearts because jealousy is a dreadful thing. The gossip and the nasty comments come out as soon as someone else, someone else gets promoted. That's what happened here. These lower officials, guess what? They lost the election. They didn't get the top job, and so they are filled with pus. They are filled with vitriol and boiling rage because they lost and someone else won. They're just as nasty, mean-spirited people. They'll do whatever they can to undermine Daniel's success, do whatever they can to derail his agenda. I mean, to plot Daniel's death, they were out of their minds with bitterness. How you handle the success of others oftentimes reveals where you really stand with Christ. How secure you are in your identity in him. It reveals your heart. So you have to ask, what is in your heart? That's a good question. What is in your heart. Probably why the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 4.31, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, along with brawling and slander, every form of malice. Instead, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another as in Christ God forgave you. 
Daniel's enemies combed through his life, looked under every rock, and couldn't find any charge against him. He was just a good, solid guy. And that means in the everyday details of life, they couldn't find anything. Never slipped out the back door as soon as the boss left. He was punctual. He was kind. He was honest. He didn't even steal pencils or paper clips. His work ethic was an indication of his walk with God. His walk with God, it invaded his work life. He didn't just do spiritual things on the Sabbath. His whole life was lived in the service of God. You know, in the everyday events of life, don't underestimate the impact of just being good. At work or at school, uh, in your family, in your community service, it might not be appropriate for you to verbally talk about your faith. Especially at work, it might not be kosher. But don't enter, underestimate the impact of just being good, of being a hard worker, someone who's on time, reliable, trustworthy, positive, not a gossip. A lot of Christians compromise their witness because they are the worst gossips in the whole office. Don't underestimate the value, the impact of just being good. Jesus said in Matthew 5.16, Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So since they couldn't get him on his character, they had to get him on his faith. And these guys were cool, they were calculated, deceptive. They can't get rid of Daniel on their own, so they set up King Darius to take the blame for killing Daniel. They appeal to the king's ego. They trick him into making a decree in verses 5 and 6 that for 30 days, everybody's got to pray only to the king. There's nothing worse than a leader who thinks he or she is a god. 30 days of worship, short enough that they could cope with it, but long enough to trap Daniel. And then it's not their fault. The king will have to enforce the law. They can wash their hands of the whole thing, lay the guilt of what happened at his feet, and they can walk around smiling. They were honorable people, pillars of society, only interested in the country. But they were corrupt to the core, full of malice, spite, and bile. And so the trap is set. What was their problem with Daniel? They couldn't handle his unswerving commitment to God. They couldn't stand that he loved his God with his, all his heart, mind, soul, and strength. As much as the Babylonians had tried to change him, they couldn't change his core commitment to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He had this unshakable faith in God. Now, these guys were religious. They believed in a lot of gods. But Daniel made them uncomfortable. When he prayed, it wasn't just some rote exercise. It was real. He, he actually believed the God of Israel was the one true God. So that meant there was no space left for the pagan deities. And that offended the officials. People today will have no problem with you or Jesus when he says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No problem with that. Just don't finish the verse. No one comes to the Father except by me. You will tick off even your religious friends when you say that, that Jesus is the only way, truth, and life. When you say, as Jesus did in John 10, that he's the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep, and all who came before him were thieves and robbers. I mean, that goes against the universalism of our day. And then your religious friends will, will start to get a little testy. Or if you point out what the apostles taught in Acts chapter 4. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Salvation in no one else. At that point, people will have no time for you at all. 
Daniel was hated and plotted against, not because he was bad, but because he was good. People actually, they, they couldn't believe that he actually believed what he said he believed. He, he wasn't faking it. People aren't prepared for that kind of integrity. They expect you not to be very committed to your faith in Christ. Because most so-called so Christians aren't very committed. So that's the predictable reaction against the gospel. Daniel, he's distinguished, he's despised, but Daniel is also disciplined. He is consistent in his spiritual life. Not like me, where I have spurts of growth and discipline. Verse 10 says, Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room, where he opened the windows towards Jerusalem, Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. As he had done before. This wasn't something new for Daniel, prayer. It was woven into the fabric of his life, his daily discipline of prayer. Not something new. He wasn't kind of running to God in desperation, a last panicked attempt to get God on his side. No, and it wasn't like an in-your-face reactionary response to the decree. It wasn't like, you know, I'll show you, tell me not to pray. Kind of an emotional outburst of defiance. No, prayer was his pattern. His custom since his, his young days, he formed holy habits. Holy habits that kept him in the center of God's will and in God's blessing throughout his life. Pa prayer was the pattern woven into his life. You know, habits are a good thing. Brushing your teeth is a good habit to practice, especially if you're sitting next to people this morning. Taking a shower, that's a good habit too. And so in the spiritual life, there are good habits to develop. Reading the Bible, prayer, financial giving, fellowship with other believers, serving, using your spiritual gifts in ministry, attending worship. I mean, worship, what we're doing now, it's a holy habit. And I know there are believers who say, you know, I skipped church today because I just didn't feel like it. They didn't feel like it, like faith is a glandular condition or something. It's not about whether you feel like it. Worship is a holy habit that keeps you in God's will and allows you to experience his power and his blessing in your life. I mean, Daniel could have rationalized it, I mean, for 30 days. Just stop praying for 30 days. He could have said to God, you know, I have been faithful for over 80 years. I'm taking a month off. Hope that's okay. No, it was his consistency with God. That's who he was. That's who he was on the inside. He was disciplined and devoted. And then he got dumped. There was no way out for the king. He's trapped by his own edict. And so in verse 16, Daniel is literally dumped into this lion's den, a stone set over the hole. So he's not climbing out as if he could do his Spider-Man moves up the walls at his age. No, once that stone is set over the hole, his fate is sealed. Let me quickly get to the end. Because then he's delivered, dumped and then delivered. The king sort of spinelessly says, Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually rescue you. Well, thanks for that. Appreciate it, king. The king has a restless night. He knows he's been snookered by these other officials. He has a conscience about it. He can't sleep. Verse 19 says that at first light he goes to the lion's den. He has the stone pulled away and he yells down into it, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to rescue you from the lion's den? And a voice comes up, of course, you should have been here. God showed up. And it was like the coming of the kingdom of God where the lion will lie down with the lamb. I love my big furry friends. We're in God's kingdom down here. 
where God reigns and there's peace and safety and no more death, no more violence. We're experiencing God's kingdom. Do you see in Daniel the foreshadowing of Jesus? You know, the whole Bible is about Jesus. Whether you read the Bible, you know, your first question shouldn't be, where do I fit into the story? Your first question should ask, where is Jesus in the story? And sometimes it'll be obvious, sometimes obscure, but he's there. Daniel foreshadows Jesus, despised and rejected for being good, for being God's true man. He was arrested, tried on phony charges, sentenced to death, his body put in a cave, sealed with a rock. And then Jesus comes out like Daniel lifted up out of the lion's den. The power of the kingdom of God yet to come breaks in and saves. Do you know that? That Christ is alive, that he reigns and he rescues. And some of us are in need of rescue today. You don't need a life coach, you need a savior. And so Daniel is delivered, but there's a dark side to this tale. King Darius casts all Daniel's accusers into the den, and it's crunch time, literally. And Christ's story parallels this in some ways because there will be a judgment on those who seek to oppose the kingdom of God. On the day of Christ's return, there will be shouts of joy and shouts of anguish by those who were not prepared and who never bowed the knee. It's like Jesus' parable in Matthew 25 about the wedding. There comes a time when the door closes, a time when the door gets shut, and those on the outside who were invited, who had the opportunity, missed it. And now they can't go in. Friends, can you dare to be a devotional Daniel? Will you be able to finish strong? The habits you are forming now will affect you the rest of your life. The same Holy Spirit that was in Daniel is in you if you've surrendered your life to Christ. You have the greatest potential possible. You are invited, pulled along by God to do something special, to have a vision of a greater life, to desire the very best for God and to desire the very best from God every day, to yearn to know Him more and more, to stand for Him in difficult circumstances when it's not popular, when the crowd is against you, to be good because of God, to do good because of God. God's resources available to you right now. The kingdom is breaking in. Can you dare to be a devotional Daniel? Because if you pray to the Lord, you won't become prey to the lions. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you just for Daniel's story. Even as an elderly man, nearing the end of his life, still faithful to you, still committed to his holy habits, his disciplines of prayer. And you see how prayer empowers him, surrounds him with your protection and your grace, Lord. May we emulate that kind of lifestyle, a whole integrated life balanced by your Spirit, committed to you, so that, Lord, we can walk with the same kind of integrity in the face of a corrupt and evil world. We thank you now, Lord Jesus. Amen.